0: The 19th chapter of the book of the Revelation, we are reading from verse 11 and down to the verse 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty god and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords here we have a picture of the warrior king sitting on a white horse it is the picture of the conquering redeemer our lord and savior jesus christ now notice how the vision is introduced. The opening words, I saw heaven opened. The vision was not revealed until heaven itself was opened. Now many things had been opened throughout the book of the Revelation. At the start, a door was opened in heaven. That door was opened to admit John into the heavenly visions to see And then there were the seals of a book that were opened. And then the book itself was opened. And then the temple was opened in heaven. But now heaven is rent asunder. Heaven itself is opened. Not to admit anyone. But to release Christ. To return again with all the army of heaven. So this is different. Heaven's opened and John's seen in and there's one mounted on a horse ready to come forth. The warrior king. So the veil of heaven has been removed completely. It's gone. The one who went in through the veil is now seen within the veil mounted on a horse and coming forth for the salvation of his people. So this expression, heaven opened, is alerting us to something that is very, very special in this vision tonight. God the Father is opening heaven, and he's revealing to us heaven's best, heaven's treasure, heaven's dearest. And he wants us to have a good look into the treasure of heaven itself the lord jesus christ so we read this vision and see it through the rent veil now this vision is very detailed it's like a great painting if you've ever been in an art gallery and there's a massive painting takes half a wall or a whole wall and it's full of activity. You know, you just can't stand there and look at it for a minute or two and walk on. You have to stand and think. And maybe they have a row of chairs even opposite it for people to sit. Because you have to take all the detail in. You have to look at everything. And that takes time. And this vision is like that. There's so much in it. What I'm going to do tonight is to focus on the names of this heavenly warrior. Now notice the emphasis of the Apostle on this matter, of his names. Four times he alludes to the names of the Lord Jesus. In verse 11, he that sat upon that horse was called Faithful and True. And then verse 12, he had a name written that no man knew. But he himself. And then in verse 13, his name is called the Word of God. And then at the end, on his thigh, a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Four times there's a focus on his names. So this must be very important. The Holy Spirit must want us to consider the names. The Savior has many names. Yes, he has one name. He has the name that is above all names. But in other respects, he has many names. Because he has so much glory. So many facets of excellency and majesty. That he has to have a multitude of names. And we have some in this vision tonight. It reminds me of the prophecy of Isaiah you remember how Isaiah said unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. A list of names. And there are so many names in the Bible for Messiah. He's multi-named. There's no one named like Jesus. There's no names as sweet as the names that Jesus possesses. There's no name so good and so pure and so wholesome. So encouraging to the saints. As the multitude of the names. Of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. Now you remember the scarlet beast. And he was full of names. The Bible says. But we don't read in any of them. The Lord doesn't write them down. He doesn't want to highlight them in the Bible. He doesn't want to give any glory to that that wicked one. And he, he doesn't give us any of his names. But he just gives us a description of them. Full of names of blasphemy. That's the world's best. That's the world's antichrist. That's the world's king, full of names, but they're all wicked, all proud, all vile, full of names of blasphemy, names contrary to the glory of God. Well, he's full of names, Well, heaven wants us to know that this warrior king is full of names too, and his names are far more glorious, far more blessed. And the world is going to run after the beast. After the names of the beast. As they're highlighted in the world's media. They'll all be running after his names. But heaven reveals to us the names of Jesus. So that we run after him. After our Lord. Those names that draw us. Those names that attract us. And Christ is full of names too. Far more full than the beast ever was with names. Only some are given in this vision and how glorious they are. Now all these names are true of Christ now. Even as he sits at the right hand of God. They're true of him now. But they will be seen to be true. At the end of the world. Whenever heaven is open and the veil removed and he comes forth in glory. All the world is going to see his names are true. They're going to see that what Christians have been saying about the names of the Lord Jesus, they're all true. It's going to be revealed at the last day when he comes back again. His names are going to be seen. Now in heaven, the saints they know Jesus by these names. They're familiar with him in these names. They they worship him through these names. And on earth. We have the Bible. And those names are revealed to us by faith. And we see them with faith. And we believe in those names with faith. Now it's not the same as seeing them in glory. It's not as intense. It's not as transforming. It's not as uplifting. As seeing the names in glory. But by faith. We see them. And they can be uplifting. And they can be encouraging. The greater our faith is. And that's why the Lord gives these names, to encourage our faith. To increase our faith in the Lord Jesus when we see the names. And so heaven is removing the veil and letting us see afresh the names of Jesus Christ. Now we Christians, we don't have to wait to the end of the world to have these names confirmed to us. We believe them now, don't we? All of them. We have the word, we have the vision, and we see it by faith, and we believe these names that are revealed to us. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. And all these names of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can run into every one of them and find refuge and find safety and find comfort in this dark world, this wicked world with Antichrist arising, with persecution increasing, with all the wickedness and vileness and darkness that is engulfing the world. Heaven reveals these names for us that we can run into them and be safe. So we need to take hold of these names. And that's why I'm pausing at them tonight to think about the names, to to run into them, to use them to strengthen us in our warfare, to know that our Saviour Just is as he is named here to us. As I said, the wicked world out there is full of proud people, hateful, persecuting, scorning people. And they have big names in that world out there. And we are poor and feeble. And we don't have a big name. What are we? We're just just a wee church. We're just a wee flock. We don't have a big name in ourselves. Not as big as the names out there in the world. How are we going to get strength? Our king has all the big names meeting in him. He's our king. He's our strength. And so we have to keep his names before us. And that's why they're revealed here to us tonight. Now how the apostle arranges these names is very, very important. You know, They're not random. They're not haphazard. You know, we just started any old way like No, there is an arrangement in these names. There's an order in them. There's a progression in them. Now, of the four references to Christ's name, you will notice that the first and the last are pairs. They're pairs because you have there in the verse 11, called faithful and true. That's one pair. And then at the end, there's another prayer on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's another prayer. So at each end, there's a prayer. In that prayer, a kind of a repetition. And then closed between those two are very important names. Perhaps the most important. There is that name that is described there in verse 12. A name written, and yet no man knew but himself. And then another name, his name is called the Word of God. They're two very important names. And they're enclosed in the middle of these pairs at either end. We'll commence looking at the the prayers first of all, the first name and the last name. The first name is Faithful and True. The name of Jesus is Faithful and True. He's called Faithful and True. Now, at the start of the book, the Lord told us, he's called the Faithful and True witness." And that was a good introduction to the book of the Revelation that he's giving to John. He's giving to John the Revelation, which he got from the Father, and he's passing it on to John. And in respect to the prophetic office, as a witness, Jesus is the faithful and true witness. Faithful in giving God's word, true to God's word, giving the truth, speaking the truth, revealing the truth. Occasionally we're told, these words are faithful. These words are true. These sayings are true. Of course they are, because it was the faithful and true witness who gave them. And the Lord Jesus wants to comfort us with that knowledge at the start. So he's a true prophet, a faithful prophet. And the book of the Revelation and all the Bible is a faithful and true word of God. And the Gospels are true. And the Bible is true. Because Jesus is a faithful and true witness. So that we will have assurance. No matter what Antichrist is saying. No matter what the world is saying. No matter what the media says. What Jesus says. Is true. And faithful. And we have to hold fast to it. No matter what. Remember how he prayed to the Father. He said. Father I have given them The words. I've been faithful and true. I've given them the words that you give me. And they've received them. And we have received them. And we believe them. And we believe that He's come from the Father and He's a true prophet. Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone are the faithful and true witness. You are the truth, Lord. However, in this vision, it doesn't say a witness. He added that at the start as he's giving the book of the Revelation but this is near the end of the book of the Revelation and he's taking away that word witness and we're just seeing the calling of his name. He's faithful and true in himself. He's not only a faithful and true prophet a witness but he's a faithful and true priest high priest as we saw in the Lord's day. A merciful and faithful high priest. Yes a faithful and true High priest and especially king, and we see him in his kingly robe here as he leaves his throne on his white horse. He is a faithful and true king, faithful to his people, faithful to his father, faithful to all his words, faithful to all that he has to do in interceding, faithful in his promises of grace, faithful in his promises of judgment. Faithful to fulfill all that he has said. He's true and faithful to judge the wicked. And he's faithful to us. He abideth faithful and true. Even when we don't. And we don't, brethren and sisters. We're very often unfaithful. But the Lord abideth faithful. And he perseveres with us. And he causes us to persevere to gather them together to vindicate his people that he has bought with his blood because he's faithful and true. This is the first name, and rightly so. How could we have confidence in him in anything else if he wasn't faithful and true? How can we rest in anyone who's not faithful and true? That must be the bedrock. That must be the foundation. That must be the very first thing we have to learn and be told. And constantly be reminded about. Even when we believe not. Even when we don't obey, He abideth Faithful. He abideth faithful. And so. How can we be established in our faith. Unless this first thing is named. And so it is. Now notice how it's put. He's called faithful and true. Called faithful and true. That's what it says. No doubt he calls himself this as he did at the start. I am the faithful and true witness. And if we ask this rider on the horse, who are you? This is the first thing that he would say. I am faithful and true. He would call himself that. Bless his name. I think, however, it is not himself calling himself this. It's the father who calls him this. He's been called faithful and true. One who knows calls him that. It's his father. He done it when he told him to sit at his right hand. He called him faithful and true. Well done, faithful and true servant. Sit at my right hand. Till I make all your enemies your footstool. The father called him this. All the angels heard it. All the glorified in heaven at that time. And down through the generations who are are at the throne of God. They hear it. The father is saying. Every time he intercedes. The father is saying you are faithful and true. He's called that. All heaven knows he's called that. And all heaven knows the father calls him that. He's called faithful and true. And for 2,000 years, it's still the same. And however long the clock is going to continue to tick, it's still going to be the same. Running to the end of the world, this interceding Saviour, the Father says, Thou art faithful and true. You're true to your sheep, son. You're true to me, son. You're faithful. You're faithful to your brethren. Faithful high priest. That's what the Father can say. And does say. And that's why the Father can say to us, as he does say to us, this is my beloved son, this is my faithful son, this is my true son. You hear him. Hear him. Believe in him, rest in him. And so you who trust in Christ and receive comfort from this theme, The Lord will never let you down. He will never fail you. Because he's faithful and true. He he will never leave you on your own. He'll never leave you standing. And you'll be ashamed. He'll never leave you like that. He won't forsake you. He won't leave you unhelped, unaided. He's too faithful for that. He's faithful because he never changes, you see. He never wavers. He never repents. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thou, Lord, in the beginning, as we saw in Hebrews, has laid the foundation of the earth. They're all the work of your hands. They'll all perish and be changed. And they'll all wax old and everything will decay. But you change not. Your years don't fail. He's faithful and true like a solid rock. And he says, I'm with you to the end of the world. And he is. He is. Remember how he appeared to Paul? He says, Paul, don't be afraid. Continue to preach the word. Continue to speak. Don't hold your peace. I'm with you. I keep you. No man will hurt you. Then you remember how he said, everybody left me, but notwithstanding the Lord, the Lord was still there. The Lord stood with me because he's faithful and true. So he is faithful and true. He finishes the names with verse 16. King of kings and Lord of lords. This is another prayer. This is a kind of a climax. The vision ends with this. The one who is coming. what What is he as he comes? He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. Look at him. So it's got to this climax. As he goes through the red veil. To trample the nations. This title occurred earlier in chapter 17. We read that the wicked, these kings, they make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb, guess what? He overcomes them. Why does he overcome them? Because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. That's why he overcomes them. That name is used to explain how it is that the lamb overcomes the beast and the kings of the earth. And now as he mounts his white horse, is he going to have any problems? Is he going to find it difficult on the earth to deal with the earth, to deal with the problems, to deal with the kings, to deal with all the wickedness, and the unbelief? Is he going to have problems? No, he's not going to have problems because he's king of kings and lord of lords. Not just our Lord, not just our King. He is supreme Lord, supreme King. He is the only sovereign potentate King over all other kings. Lord over every Lord. He rules absolutely supreme. The Most High. The Highest. That's what this name means. Remember how Nebuchadnezzar learned that in Daniel 4. Remember the King of Babylon, he exalted himself. Oh, i built this great kingdom by my power for the honor of my majesty and while the word was in his mouth the Lord just smote him and humbled him and he thought he was an animal out in grass out in the fields but then his reason come back again he changed his tune and he said now I extol in honor the king of heaven King of Heaven, and so this is where this name comes from. God, King of Kings, King of Lord of Lords. Nebuchadnezzar gave it to him when God humbled him. There's only one King, King of Heaven. Well, this is him, and so he comes forth with the title blazing. He's saying he will put down all wickedness and all opposition and deal with all rebellion and the world will see this. And all kings being humbled will see this at the end. He is king of kings and lord of lords and every knee will bow and say that he's lord. They'll acknowledge this. They'll see this. Now we only see it by faith now. People, they just see presidents and prime ministers and kings and monarchs and great people. And they think that they're all it. But we don't see them as all it. We have faith and we see Jesus. You know, presidents and prime ministers can be powerful. Nowadays, with a push of a button and a phone call, they could nearly uh, reduce the world to a fraction. So they have great power and authority. They can strike terror to the nations and even to the church in all nations. They can strike terror and may do so in the future. But we're not to be afraid of their terror. Because you see, heavens open. And we see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we are to fear Him. So we must remember who reigns in the heavens and who is over all and who is coming again. You see why this name is revealed as we come into the dark ages and the dark times and the things that are going to befall the earth. Now, notice how the name is described. It doesn't say he's called king of kings and lord of lords. This is different. Do you see what it says there? On his thigh, on his side, a name has been written. It's been engraved in his loin, in his side, in his leg. King of kings and lord of lords. It's inscribed just as clear. Remember Pilate wrote the inscription Put it above the Lord's head. There it was. It was above his head. This is on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. Who wrote that? And why there? Why on his thigh? Whose hand did this? Obviously, the same hand that was revealed to the king at the fall of Babylon. The hand that wrote on the wall. It's the hand of God that has written this text on his thigh. It's the father who wrote this. He's my king. My king. On my holy hill of Zion. His father textualized it on his side. King of kings and lord of lords. The father inscribed it. The one who said sit at my right hand. Until I make all thine enemies thy fooster. And it's as if he just reached over his hand. Just as he sat down. And he wrote, King of kings. Lord of lords. There it is. The Father's done it. And where it's written is very important too. Why is thy? Now you don't read this word thigh in the New Testament at all. You'll, never, you'll not see it anywhere else in, in the New Testament. So why there? Why, we don't read of it in the New Testament. We do in the Old Testament. Genesis 24, verse 2, and verse 9. Remember, Abraham sent out his eldest servant to the house. He said, put your hand under my thigh and swear. Make an oath. The thigh is identified with the oath. With the oath of God. With something that is unchangeable, that is fixed. And then again, in verse nine, he, the servant, put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning that matter. And you remember, Jacob, the time came that he was to die, and he called his son Joseph, and he said, "I pray thee, put put your hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me." Emphasis on the true. Emphasis on the oath, the promise. Take me out with you to bury me in the land of promise. Don't let me be buried here in Egypt. And Joseph had to make an oath at the thigh. Not only is Christ made priest by an oath. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Father has also made an oath of kingship with him. Thou art my king that sits on my holy hill of Zion. He's king of kings and he's lord of lords. And the father is oath. The covenant of grace has made that unchangeable. So he's made king with an oath. I've set my king. So that's one reason for the thigh. On a king's thigh, there's something very special. It's a sword of state. Psalm 45, gird thy sword Upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. You see, the sword has been given to the government to exercise for the safety of the people, to protect the people. And the sword is a symbol of majesty and of authority, kingly rule. Messiah has his name written where sword is authority. You, you read that here. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. And then we read in verse 21, the that were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. This is the one he's going. Do you not see where the sword is? Do you not see what's written on a scabbard? This is a sword of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Who wouldn't fear him? This is the one we trust. This is the one we rest in this is the one that we believe in who saves us by his grace who washes us with his blood who works in us gracefully and mercifully by his Holy Spirit and who will subdue all our enemies and put them all down and conquer all our sins this is him the one in whom we trust